0: We're open up to the book of Acts. We continue tonight in our, in our study of the book of Acts. We're looking at uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. And yes, the kiddos, as you can hear, are dismissed Children's church. Church. Um, let's go ahead and read that, and then we'll ask God's um, blessing upon our time. Starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 4, it says this, While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. The next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you, And to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who was healed standing right there among them, there was nothing, they could, nothing that the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men, they asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. And so they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot, for everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord God, we know tonight that you want us to learn from it. Lord God, some of us tonight may need to be encouraged and, God, I pray they'd be encouraged tonight through your, through your word. Father, some of us tonight, tonight maybe need, need to be challenged or convicted of some area in our life. God, and I pray you would do that. And, God, we know that you can because you're God. Lord, you know every heart and every mind here. You know every detail of everyone's life. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us not as individuals. God, we know that Satan would like to do nothing else but come and distract tonight. God, I just, I just pray that you would reign, reign in every heart and every mind, reign in this place. God, that you may receive all the glory and honor and praise. You speak tonight, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last couple of weeks, we have been looking at this time where Peter and John um, were going into the temple and they met this crippled beggar who had been lame, as we saw here, for over 40 years. I mean, his entire life, he has not been able to. Walk, And so Peter and John walked up to this man and and told him to stand up and be healed in the name of Jesus. And and he reached down and and, and picked the man up and his ankles and his feet were, were healed in an instant. And this man is just jumping and praising God and holding on to Peter and John. And if you can imagine, this started a real ruckus inside the temple area because as the people looked over there and saw this man, they recognized him. They recognized him as that lame beggar that had been sitting there day after day, week after week, month after month, and now he was clearly healed because he was jumping up and down giving glory to God for this. Now, last week then, we saw kind of Peter's response. And so Peter took this opportunity with these people all there, gathered around literally thousands of them, and he began to to tell these people that what they had seen was done through the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Now, What's amazing about what we're going to talk about today is is that we see two completely different responses to Peter's um, message that we talked about last week. We're going to see that, that many received it and many were saved, but there were some who still, even with this incredible miracle right before their eyes, absolutely and completely rejected it. So as we see there in verse one through, three, 1 through 3, as Peter and John were speaking, if you can kind of picture this, they were confronted. There was some priests there in the temple, which was normal because that's where the priests work, um, especially during hours of prayer like this. All the priests had duties. Um, it also says he was confronted by the, 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 um, the, the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees. And so you can imagine what the response was when they heard Peter saying what he did. That, that this Jesus was risen from the dead, that this Jesus was the one that all the prophets had been talking about of old. Everything pointed to him. And, and so the, the priests were probably irritated. Um, the captain of the temple guard, he was actually second in command of the templary underneath the high priest, and he was in charge of keeping order inside of the temple. And if you could imagine the ruckuses was going on right now, I'm sure he was a bit on edge. And then you have these Sadducees. So who were the Sadducees? Well, the Sadducees were some of the kind of religious leaders, but they were very liberal theologians. And in fact, these Sadducees only believed in the first like five books of the Bible and and discounted the rest of it. And and one of the things they were most noted for were that the Sadducees did not believe in any resurrection, let alone Jesus. They didn't believe, like, when you died, you died. I mean, there was no resurrection of the dead. So, so when Peter was proclaiming that this Jesus, who had just been crucified weeks before this, was now alive and well, this obviously had them a little bit uh, on edge, too. So what happened? We, we see that they were thrown in jail. For what? For speaking the truth and for doing a good deed, for... for coming alongside and healing a man who had been lame for over 40 years. And they threw him in jail. Why would they do that? Well, you know, one thing that we need to keep in mind as we serve the Lord is that there will always be opposition to what God is trying to do. That this is something we need to just recognize as truth, and we need honestly just need to expect it. One thing we can be sure of is that wherever God is at work, we can be sure that Satan and his minions will be close behind. Now, these people that threw them in the jail were obviously the people being, they were influenced by Satan, clearly, because Satan is at the core of all things opposed to God, and they definitely allowed Satan to use them, so, whether they, were, so, so they were obviously not without excuse, but, but, we, but we need to remember this, right? So even the situation with them, even people today, do you face opposition in your life today? Like when you try to talk about Jesus, when you try to live for Jesus, when you talk about church, inviting people. I mean, do you face opposition? Is there opposition in our culture when it comes to the Christian faith? Absolutely. But here's what we need to understand. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12 tells us this, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The idea is the enemies that are the real enemies aren't the people that we see in front of us. It's the one behind the scenes controlling them. It says, but our our war really is against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's speaking of satanic forces, demonic forces that that are really the ones um, controlling a lot of the actions of these people that we see in our world today, these people especially that come up against the people of God. And so this is something we need to understand in our endeavor to serve the Lord and build his kingdom. We need to be ready for that and recognize that opposition is going to come when we choose to walk in obedience to the word of God. But we also need to keep in mind that the people we see in front of us are not the enemy. Satan's the enemy, not the people in front of us are not the enemy. Those are the people who are simply being controlled by Satan. Now, why do I say that? Are we kind of like giving them like an easy out, Like, Well, what are they supposed to do about it? Like Satan has control of them. Well, it is biblical. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2 tells, it that it tells us that these people of the world are people who are obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. It says he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And we need to keep that in mind. That it, it, what we're seeing isn't just a normal thing from a human being. It's somebody that's being controlled by forces of evil. Really, that's something that's inside of them. They really can't help because they don't belong to the Lord. Now, and they shouldn't be the enemy. Why? Because they're supposed to be the people that we're reaching. If, if we look at the people in front of us as the enemy, it's going to turn our hearts away from them. Well, we need to see past that and see the reality for what it is. We also need to remember what the next verse in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 3 says. It says, all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclination of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. And so those people out there that irritate us, those people that are coming up against us, just like these people that were coming up against Peter and John, we were those people at one time. Before we knew Christ as Savior, we were the people who were controlled by Satan, people who were belonging to the devil. But the good news is, this is God's mercy. As verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians 2 says, God's mercy is so rich and as he loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. By grace we have been saved. Now, I give you all that just to, because perspective is really, really important when it comes to the Christian faith. If we don't keep stuff like that in perspective, that the people that are coming up against us really aren't the enemy, if we can't keep that in perspective, it's, it is going to hinder our Christian walk greatly. It's going to hinder our effectiveness in reaching those people greatly. But if we can keep that in perspective, it's truly going to empower us as God's people. Now, as we get down to verse 4, we see that. That many of the people who heard their message believed it. And so the number of men who believed now totaled 5,000. You know, so it's just the men, so it's not even including the, and the women and the children. So we're talking, we went from very few Christians to literally thousands of Christians by this point. How? You ever wonder, like, like, like how did they do that? Well, they didn't, God did. But I mean, but, 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 but they, they were involved in it, right? Now, a question we should ask when we think about this fact that even here, like thousands more, over 2,000 people came to faith in Jesus in this moment when this this lame, crippled beggar came um, and was healed. Over 2,000 people came to Christ. So the question is, what was behind, what was the power behind those people being saved that day? Those people being added to the church today. What was the power behind that? Was it simply the miracle? Like, was it the miracle? Was that the reason they got saved? I mean, certainly that's what got their attention, but just seeing a miracle can't save anybody, right? Now, logically, you think about the religious elites that were there, the Sadducees, the priests. They were there. They witnessed it. As we're going to see, they completely rejected it. So it's not just a miracle alone that can save people. There has to be something more. In fact, do you know that just because a miracle occurs, it's... ...or a seeming miracle occurs... ...it doesn't even mean that God's involved in it. Like, what am I talking about? Do you believe that... ...that satanic forces have the power... ...to do things that amaze people? Absolutely. There's coming today... ...2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us... ...verses 9 through 12... ...that this Antichrist... ...it talks about this. this man will come to do the work... ...of Satan with counterfeit powers... ...and signs and miracles... He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived, and they will believe these lies. Like so, Satan has those powers to, to do false miracles. To yeah, remember the story of Moses? He threw down a stab. What did it turned into? Anybody remember? Turned into a snake. What did the, the, the priest in Egypt do? The same thing. Like, so there's power out there. Satan does have power, but that's obviously not what this was, right? My point is, is just a miracle alone can't save somebody, because not necessarily the miracle itself may not even be from God. So that doesn't have the power to save. It may have the power to get people's attention, but it doesn't have the power to save. Now, what set this miracle apart from anything Satan would do is what Peter did next. He didn't claim the power for himself. It wasn't like, look what I did, I'm self-exalting. That's what that Santa Christ fellow is going to do someday. It's all about self-exaltation, honoring Satan and not Christ. But what does Peter do? He says, this was through the power of Jesus Christ. You know, I said last week that I truly believe that, that God is still in the business of doing miracles. However, mir- miracles apart from the message of the gospel are absolutely powerless to save anyone. So as we think about this story, the reason these thousands of people came to faith in Christ that day wasn't because they saw the miracle. The miracle got their attention, but why did they come to faith in Christ? Because Peter shared the gospel. That's why. He shared the message of Jesus. That's what we talked about all all last week, and and again, we only have bits and pieces of it, but if if we've seen anything through what Peter has shown us in these last few chapters, Peter has been very, very, very clear about four things, about who Jesus was, what Jesus did, why people need him, and and what response people need to do in relation to those things. We've seen that over and over in just those two sermons that Peter spoke. See, the gospel is the only thing that has the power to save somebody. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 tells us this. So if that's true, then it's really important that if we're going to be effective in our gospel witness, that we need to make sure that we're sharing the correct gospel. Do you think that's important? Obviously that's important. If, if the gospel is the only thing that can save, we need to make sure that we're sharing the truth, sharing the full thing. For instance, we ask ourselves, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I mean, just think about what Peter said over these last couple chapters, chapter 2 and chapter 3. Who was Jesus? Well, he was God in the flesh. The eternal Son of God who became man, the one who willingly left, willingly left heaven and, and, and willingly gave up his glory to come here to, to lower himself, to, to take on flesh as a human being. Fully divine and yet fully man. At the end of his life, he was as holy as when he started because he was tempted in every way that we were, and yet he did not sin. And, and so who he was made what he did matter. What did Jesus do? He died for us. He paid the debt of sin that should have been ours to pay. He endured the wrath of God on our behalf and made peace with God possible. And then what did he do? He rose from the dead. He defeated sin and he defeated death opening up the door to heaven for, um, for, for us so that we can escape hell, so that we can be saved. Can I tell you something? Without Jesus, we would be up a creek without a paddle. If Jesus had not come to do what Jesus did, we would have absolutely zero hope of heaven. We would be absolutely and completely, utterly lost in our sin with no way of escape. And that's the why we need him. See, who Jesus is matters because of what Jesus did. And what Jesus did matters because of why we Need him. Why do we need him? Because we are the sinners that he died for. We're the ones that broke God's law. We're the ones that rebelled against him. Our choice to sin had put us on a one way road to destruction, and we had no way off that road on ourselves. But because Jesus did what he did through him, salvation and forgiveness has been offered. That's what, that's what Paul, Peter's talking about here in verse 12. There is no salvation in anyone else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. Can I tell you something? Regardless of what you hear in our culture, Muhammad can't save, neither can Shiva, neither can Buddha. Those false gods cannot save. They don't work that way. Neither can people save themselves. We cannot save ourselves through good deeds. We cannot save ourselves because we're generally a good person. I don't care if we had a hundred lifetimes, we could not tip the scale in our favor because of good deeds it doesn't work that way. Why? Because we have sinned against an infinitely holy God, and there is only one way to make that right, and it's through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Which leads us to the fourth response of why, what response is needed. People need to believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is and believe that he did what the Bible says he did, and then in faith, confess him as Lord, repenting of their sin, repenting of their unbelief, and receiving him as the one true Savior into their lives and choosing to give their lives in full to him as King. Friends, that's salvation, and that's the message that we need to be sharing with people. That's the only message that can save. We need to do it. That's why there was thousands of people here saved. Not because of the miracle. It's because the gospel was shared. You know what's amazing about the message of Christ? Is that it is the power behind the expansion of God's kingdom. I want to remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. He says, "I I say to you, Peter, that upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. What was Jesus talking about? Who, who, was he going to build his church upon Peter? Hmm. He was talking about himself. He, he was saying that Jesus was saying, I am the foundation stone of the kingdom of God. Everything's going to be built up upon me. So when we think about verse 11 of our text here, the stone the builders rejected has now become the, the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. That's what Jesus was saying here in Matthew chapter 16 in verse 18. And so one thing we're going to see through the book of Acts is that no matter what opposition Satan throws at Christians or at the church in his attempt to stop the message of Christ, it's not going to work. Everything we see in the book of Acts, every time Satan comes against the church, the church grows. We need to understand that God will win. We need to have full confidence in that fact. His true church church will grow and he will bring to salvation every last person that will come before this world ends and no one can stop it. Not even Satan himself has the ability to stop what God has already declared. We need to take faith and hope in that. Now, as we get back to our text here, verses 5 and 6, it talks about how this council of rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. And so what was this, counselor, this council of religious leaders? Well, this was what was known as the Jewish Sanhedrin. Um, although Rome was in charge, Rome allowed the Jews to handle internal religious disputes on their own. So they had kind of like a high court is kind of what this was. The Sanhedrin was a legal high court of the Jews made up of mostly the Sadducees but also had the leading priests of the day that were there a part of this. And and here it says that Annas was high priest. It it is interesting that it says that, but it's actually not true. (laughs) So I'm not saying the Bible isn't right, but but what this hits on is this. Caiaphas, his son-in-law, was actually high priest at the time. Annas had actually been removed as high priest. The Romans forced him out a number of years earlier, but the, the Jews still looked at him as high priest. E- even though he wasn't actually high priest, Caiaphas was, the Jews still recognized him, so he had kind of this honorary title of high priest. And you kind of even see this in the story of Jesus. Caiaphas is clearly the high priest, and yet who was the first one that they brought Jesus to to be tried? To the house of Annas. And so it says, anyways, in verse 7, they they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power, or in whose name have you done this? Now remember, these were literally the same men that had just nailed Jesus to a cross. Like Caiaphas, Annas, these religious leaders, these were literally the same ones, the same ones that Peter ran from before. Peter was now standing here, and they asked him this question, by whose power and whose name have you done this? And, And Peter stands there and boldly tells them, the hard truth. Man, Peter has been absolutely changed. And I just love the way Peter talks about this in those verses. He's like, am, am I really being tried? Are we really being tried because we healed a man? I mean, the guy was lame for over 40 years, and we're really being tried because he's now walking? O- okay. I mean, I-, I-, I guess if you really want to know what happened, we're going to tell you. This wasn't done by our power. It was done by the power of the name of Jesus Christ of, Naz- of Nazareth. <laughs> Woo! Can you imagine that moment? They're just like, here you go. Oh, and by the way, you can picture Peter speaking to them because they would have known this. But By the way, priest, if you remember what uh, was written in Psalm 118.22, God's chief cornerstone on, on which his kingdom will be built, oh, that was Jesus, and you're the builders who rejected him. Friends, that is boldness. What boldness Peter had. It's almost as if Peter was saying, don't think your religious leaders are going to be saved by your only good deeds. Nope. Your adherence to your religious law, not going to save you. There's only one way to salvation, and it's verse 12, in the name of Jesus. This was Peter's message to these people who had just crucified Christ a few months before this. Now, the reaction to this in verse 13, I love. The members of the councils were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures and they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. These people knew who Jesus' followers were. They knew who Peter and John were and here's what they knew about Peter and John. They're fishermen. What in the, They haven't been trained by any Rabbi, how in the world are they able to speak like this with such authority? And their answer was, they've been with Jesus. That's good, isn't it? They saw Jesus in them. They saw his wisdom. They saw his boldness flowing out of these men in this moment. And and just like when Jesus had his encounter with these people, And they were left speechless in this moment. These people were left speechless. Like, what do we do? (laughs) Now, let's go back to verse 8 for a moment because there's something that's just huge here I want to hit on. Verse 8 says, just the very first part of it, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't think that this was Peter acting in his own wisdom and his own strength. He just didn't get some, like, all right, I'm just going to change my ways, and I'm going to go give these guys a what for? No, no, not at all. Something had changed in Peter. Remember, this was the same Peter who just ran away from these people, who denied thrice—not once, not twice, but three times, like a scaredy cat—ran away. And now he stands in front of these same people and boldly proclaims this. What changed? He was still in the same body. He was still the same Peter, but he wasn't the same Peter. He was a man who had been transformed by the Spirit of the living God. He had the Holy Spirit of God living in him, and he was wielding the power of the Spirit in him. Can I tell you something, friends? This is the power behind the work of God on earth. The Holy Spirit. Do you realize the Holy Spirit in you is the power of God in you? Everything we need to do for what he's called us to do, we have the ability to do because of the Holy Spirit of God that is in us. Don't count yourself short. Because it's not you that's going to be working if you just surrender to Him. It's going to be God. I mean, have you ever stopped to consider the people who Jesus chose as His disciples? Like, He didn't go to the kings. He didn't go to the the trained rabbis and everything else. Who did He pick? Fishermen. The outcasts of society. Like, a tax collector that was looked down upon by the entire Jewish state. Those were the people that Jesus picked. What was so special about these people? How, how, were, they, how were they able to accomplish what they did after Jesus left? Was it because they were so smart? No. They were yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's, that's how. That, that is the how. They did what they did because the Spirit of God was moving them. And that is the key for, if we want to do anything for God today, that's the key. See, some people are intimidated by thinking they have really anything to offer because, well, they've not been formally trained. They don't know enough about the Bible yet, so God can't really use me. I need to go to seminary first and get some degrees. I need to have some position in the church, and maybe then God can use me for some big things. No. Nope. You know what you need? You need to walk in the power of the Spirit of the living God. That's it. And let him lead you and his power will work. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 tells us that, 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 that we need to be filled with the Spirit. That's in a Greek tense that means to be presently and continually filled with the Spirit of God. Now why does Paul say that in Ephesians chapter 5? Because I, I think it's connected to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 where he says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Now, here's a fact. When you when you get saved, when you give your life to Christ, the spirit of God comes in you. Like you have the, he, he makes his dwelling inside of you. You become the temple of the living God as as a person, right? You have the Holy Spirit. And you have the he doesn't like just stick a foot in or a toe in and you get bits and pieces of him. No, you have the whole thing available to you, but just because you have it available doesn't mean that you're necessarily utilizing the power that is there. To be filled with the Spirit means we are walking in complete and utter dependence upon Him. It means that we are not relying in our own power and in our own strength. We're relying completely upon His. And the thing is, is we can only be filled with the Spirit, walking in the power of the Spirit, when we're rightly in relationship with God. We're commanded to be filled, but we have the ability to stifle the Spirit. According to Scripture. See, when we have sin in our life that's undealt with, it inhibits the power of the Spirit of God within us. When we're walking in our own strength and in our own power, it inhibits the power of the Spirit in us. When we're distracted um, by everything else going on in our lives and don't give God the focus that He deserves, it inhibits the power of the Holy Spirit within us. When we're not in God's Word, when we're not in prayer, when we forsake the assembling of ourselves together as Christians, it inhibits the power of the Holy Spirit of God that is in us. Like, I'm convinced that through the power of the Spirit of God, we can literally do anything. We can accomplish any task God calls us to do. There is no task too big, too hard, or too great for a person that is walking in absolute, full dependence upon Him. Where we get in trouble is when we're not. But man, if we would just walk in His power and His wisdom and His strength, what could God do through us? The same thing He did through Peter and John. It's still possible today. I'm absolutely convinced. Friends, let's walk in his power not our own. Now the last thing I want to kind of consider is the response of the Jewish high council and how Peter and John responded in verses 14 through 22. So verses 14 and 15 it says that since they could not, or since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say, so they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred amongst themselves. I mean, can you just get this picture? I mean the, these religious leaders are supposed to be the spiritual authority of all Israel they kick them out and they go, What do we do with these people? I, the people are all wound up. They saw this. We, we see the man. He's, he's standing, walking, jumping up and down, praising God. We can't deny they did the miracle. What do we do? Well, you could just believe. But no, that'd be too easy, right? So, what do they say in verses 16 through 18? What do we do with these men? So down jump to verse 17, he says, to, to, to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. So, so instead of just believing that Jesus is real, here's your proof, that's all you should know, Nope, these men were too far gone. They had hardened their heart to a place where they just it became impossible for them to believe. You know, I talked about this here a few weeks ago, but I just want to say it again. Do not harden your heart towards God. Every time you say no to God, I I really believe that a little piece of your heart gets harder. Every time you say no, a little piece gets, the, the, the hardness grows, and there can come to a place where you're just too far gone. If you have been on the fence about whether or not to truly commit your life to Christ, do it and do it today. Because I'll tell you this, even if your heart don't get fully hard, you have no idea if you have tomorrow. Give your life to the Lord. Now verses 19 and 22 through 22, Peter and John replied, "Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than Him?" So we can't stop telling about everything we have seen. And heard the council threaten them further, but then they let them go. And it says that, that people were, everyone was praising God. I love that. They were praising God for what they had seen. God was glorified in this moment. But the part I want to focus on in just our last moments together is what Peter and John said there. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop talking about everything we have seen and heard. You know, there's a biblical principle in multiple places of Scripture that says that we're supposed to respect our authorities over us. We're supposed to obey the authorities over us. Even our government. But there is a caveat to that in Scripture. And it's when, when there's a headbutt between what God's called us to do, and what the government or somebody's telling us not to do. See, we're living in a world that is desperately trying to silence the people of God. Would you agree with that? Do you know there are nations right now around the world that just speaking the name of Jesus will land you in prison? Maybe even death. There are places in the world this weekend, that we'll meet in underground bunkers at midnight in dark houses to gather together to to praise God and to learn about Him. I mean, we're not there yet. There, there yet in this country, but if but if the if the wrong people have their way, we'll get there quickly. I can tell you that. You know, even now in our own country, if we speak out against immorality we're called bigots and haters if we speak off of the sanctity of life we're called radicals if we confront the indoctrination of our children in our schools we're, we're labeled as crazy people I can tell you that we may not be where other countries around the world are yet but if something doesn't change quickly it's coming and in those moments we're going to have to ask ourselves what are we going to do Are we going to keep quiet? I read an art in the news article just this week about a school board member in Arizona that made this quote Any school district should not hire Christian teachers because it is not safe to have them influence our kids. Friends, it's coming. And we need to be ready now for when that day comes. And when that day comes, we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be silenced? Are we going to speak the truth? Are we going to hide in corners? Are we going to stand up and boldly proclaim the message of Jesus Christ regardless of what it costs us? See, that that was the choice that Peter and John were faced with here. Do you realize that this could have easily gone the other way? They could have went to the gallows in that moment, but they didn't care because their allegiance to Christ was greater than their allegiance to governing human authority, and we have to get there in our lives. Now, in saying that, I will say this. Ephesians 4.15 tells us to speak the truth in love. Even when we speak the truth, here's what I don't believe Peter and John were doing. I don't, I don't believe They were arrogant. I don't believe they're mocking their leaders. And neither should we. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 tells us this, to worship Christ as Lord of our lives, and if someone asks you your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But in verse 16 it says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way, keeping your conscience clear. Friends, we need to first have allegiance to God and his word. And what this says, we do no matter what. And if we have opposition come up against that, we still have an allegiance to him first, but even in our refusal to obey the governing authorities that says otherwise, we need to do it with humility. We need to do it with humility. You know, if we've learned anything from this passage today, we can see that there will be times that we're going to face opposition in our endeavor to serve the Lord. And yet in the midst of our walk, let's never forget that God has declared that his gospel will go forth. His church will be, will be built. His kingdom will grow regardless of what Satan tries to do. But if we want to be part of that, what do we got to do? We got to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. Regardless of the opposition we face, our allegiance is to him. And if we do that, friends, here's what's going to happen. God will use us. He will use us as individuals. We will reach people. People's lives will be transformed. His church will grow. His kingdom will expand because of you and me walking in obedience and faith. Let's be those people. Let's trust the Lord, and let's honor him with our lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you Lord so much for just who you are, God, and, and for what you've done. God, you have just <laughs> you have given us incredible grace in Christ. God, let's never take it for granted. But when we were saved, we weren't saved just to go on and continue in our lives like we were before. No, we were saved to change. When we were saved, we were called to to give our lives fully to you. We were were called at that moment to walk in holiness and righteousness. Why? Because we are now the witnesses that this world needs. God, we are the city on the hill that Matthew 5 talks about. That should be shining its light. We are the lamp lamp that's up on the lampstand that's giving light to everybody in the room. God, that's us. God, your word tells us, let your light so shine that people may see your good deeds and bring glory to your Father in heaven. God, let that be us. Let us not be distracted by the ways of this world and the sin of this world, God. Let us not be, let us not be um, caught up in, in temptation and sin. Let, let us not be quiet, Lord, about what Christ has done. You have put people in our lives that we have been called to reach. Father, give us the boldness and, the, and give us the words to speak. Give us the words and the faith to speak. Give us the faith to believe, God, that then when you bring those moments that you're going to give us every word that we need, just like you did with Peter and John, just, just like they were filled to the power of the Spirit, you'll do the same with us today. Give us what we need, Lord God, to be the people you've called us to be. And Heavenly Father, if there's anybody in this place that has never made a decision to follow Christ, let this tonight be the night of their salvation. If they have any question whatsoever about where they're going to spend eternity tonight, God, let them call out to the name of Jesus and be saved. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Friends, tonight as we close, we're going to stand and sing a song.